in the room. Raise your hands high. Karen, oh, a lot of them. Okay. Actually, no, we're going to limit this to birthdays. I got a card this morning. I won't tell you from who, but her name is Ginger. (laughs) Have you heard about the new Miracle Birthday Diet? You eat all the cake, ice cream, and goodies you want. And if you lose weight, it's a miracle. (laughs) Enjoy your birthday. Well, it makes me happy to have Millard and Shirley back, and we just love you guys so much and grateful for all that God did and will continue to do through your lives. And um, the subject I want to approach today is one of Millard's favorites. It's about the Father's love, the Father's great love for us. Um, I think there is a need this morning, as I've tried to hear the Lord's voice, to get off the treadmill for a moment and just bask in our Father's tender love. You know, there's a lot going on at the church. There's a lot of stirring, a lot of excitement, a lot of new growth, a lot of passion. And uh, I thought about my own messages over the last several months, and um, they've been messages where I've been asking things of you and and uh, some old disciplines to return, and all that's great. Um, But I felt the Lord prompt me just to say, don't ask anything of the body this morning. Just um, share with them my deep love for them. So I'm going to use, refer to a lot of scriptures this morning in the hopes that his word will speak to our hearts, to our spirits, Um, So let's pray together that God will speak to us as he sees fit. Lord, we do just open ourselves to you right now and to your holy word. And we realize that um, everything fades and passes away except your word, that it stands forever. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak deeply to our hearts. Pray for those who need comfort. Pray for those who uh, are afflicted. Pray for those who are facing challenges. Pray for those who need a word from you for guidance. Lord, that as we just revel in your love and in your tender love this morning, that you would speak and you would bless and you would touch. Uh, We just thank you, Father, and thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you you are preparing to preach, you sometimes, frankly, hit Saturday night, and even though maybe on Wednesday you were sure you heard from the Lord, by Saturday night you're wondering, you know. Um, And uh, it was a blessing to me this morning, the words that came because I want to remind you that Bill opened the service with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about God is the God of all comfort, uh, that beautiful verse. Um, And then uh, Sherry had the word about God rejoicing over us, and then Art had the word about his steadfast love is great. And so those three words just kind of confirmed to me that we're on the right track, and so I give God... Praise for that. 
So I believe there's a need to uh, rest in our Father's love this morning. And the verse that I want to use is um, a favorite of mine. It's from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Let me read that to you. It says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that, however, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. See how great a love the Father has for us. If you look up synonyms for the word to see or see in a thesaurus, here are a few that are listed. To see is to sense or perceive, to know or comprehend, to understand, appreciate, to realize or discern, to learn, discover, to, to ponder, or focus upon, to recognize, identify, consider, grasp, explore, or apprehend. There is a challenge to see in this passage, isn't there? To, to act, activate these words, to see what great, love, what great love the Father has for us. There's also a challenge, I think, to believe the love that God has for us. In December of 2002, I preached a sermon called, Have You Believed the Love? Christmas was coming up, and I used uh, sort of the metaphor of hanging ornaments on a tree. And I listed these ornaments. He chose us. In Ephesians 1, we read that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Isn't that incredible? to think about that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world to serve him and to love him and to be holy before him. A second ornament was he has lifted us up. I love Psalm 3.3 that says, he is the glory and the lifter of my head. How many of you have uh, been intimately acquainted with this thing called shame? And yet God has delivered you and lifted your head. A third one was he has forgiven us. I think of Psalm 103. As far as the east as is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The fourth was that he has set his steadfast love upon us. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The fifth one was God's love is tender. And who, you know, I think you're probably like me. You think of the verse, even the hairs of our head are numbered. How, what a description of the tenderness and the intense focus of God upon our lives. Number six is love is changing us. I thought of 2 Corinthians 3 where we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. 
And then finally, he has given us eternal life. And this is the testimony, 1 John says, um, that he, God, has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. Shortly after that message, uh, Shirley Norcom uh, needlepointed me uh, seven little ornaments to hang, actual ornaments to hang from my tree that highlighted each of those points, and I treasure those. In this word see, there's also a challenge to, uh, to comprehend the love of God, and I'd like to read a passage penned by the Apostle Paul. It's in Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, and it works down to Paul praying that we would be able to comprehend the love of God. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Finally, in our text, in this challenge to see the love of God, I think there is an embedded invitation to rest in that love. He wants us to rest in his love, doesn't he, rather than be anxious. I thought of a... um, um, time early in Laura's and my marriage where uh, my oldest daughter, Abby, was three and Hannah was two, I think. And they were, we, we lived in the country in uh, northern Minnesota and the grass in our yard was about this high, a little bit higher than they, than they were. And we sent them out to pick raspberries and uh, so they each had a little whip, uh, you know, whipped cream bucket, and they didn't have shirts on. They just had shorts and maybe flip-flops. And so they were in the grasses there, moving around, picking raspberries. And I was kind of scared or, or anxious because there were all these bees flying around. And I thought, sooner or later, they're going to get stung. But... Um, as the time went on, and they're just happily chatting and picking raspberries, and um, I, I suddenly, this sense came over me, they're not going to get stuck. This is just kind of a, a divine moment, and Jim, just relax and enjoy uh, this moment. And so I would call them out of the grasses, and I'd see the, the grasses move, and out they'd come, and they'd have raspberry juice all over their mouths and all over their little distended bellies um, and uh, nothing in the bucket, maybe one. And off they'd, you know, I'd just check on them and off they'd go again into the grasses and the grass would move. And it was just a, a neat moment um, that somehow in my mind connected to this idea that God wants us to rest in his love. 
Okay, let's look at five examples of the Father's tender love. You guys know that I'm involved in counseling, I'm involved in marriage counseling, and that led me into the sexual arena in, in married couples' lives, affair recovery, and, and this year I've been um, um, going to some conferences on sexual addiction what the clinical world calls sexual addiction. And all that means is it's not negating the fact that it's sinful. It's just saying that it's, it's, it's noting the reality that some people lose the ability, their will. They lose, they lose control of their willpower. They have no willpower, and it, this, this behavior becomes compulsive. Well, I wasn't sure that the Lord wanted me to get into this area. So I, I went to Laura, and I said, honey, would you pray about this with me? And one morning, she came, came uh, running in and uh, told me that she felt that I was, that she got a yes, and she gave me a verse that highlights the first point that I want to make about God's tender love, and that is his unlimited patience toward us. How many of you feel like God has been incredibly patient with you and incredibly patient with your sin? And so she showed me um, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. And this is really a key passage in this message. So I'd like you to really pay attention to this, to this part. Starting in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 1. Paul writes this. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. So Paul was a violent man. Not just a persecutor, not just a blasphemer of Christ, but he was a violent man before Christ got a hold of him. He goes on to say, And yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Now here's where um, it gets really interesting. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among who, whom I am what? What did he say? Chief or foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I found mercy. Okay, he's going to describe why, as the foremost of all sinners, he found mercy, or why Christ chose him, that Jesus Christ might demonstrate his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. I tell you, someone who has a sin habit is in the grips of a sin habit. They fight that, but they so often lose. That verse is good news. That verse is good news, that God, God will win through his unlimited patience. He will win. And Paul is saying, my life is an example of God's unlimited patience 
to those of you who are in that place. So that was a powerful verse for me. And I've always appreciated David's prayer in Psalm 86, verse 11. Let me read that to you. It's just two lines. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. And then he says this. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Isn't that interesting? It's as if uh, David is saying, there are pieces of my heart that need to come under the fear of the Lord. Unite my heart. There are renegade, he recognized, there are renegade pieces of my heart that need to come under the Lordship of Christ. And so he's praying, unite my heart, Lord, to fear your name. I'm learning that God is not really that impressed with the strength of our will to change. But he is very impressed with our desperation to trust him to deliver us. You know, when Paul talks in Romans 7 about wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God that he will strengthen my willpower to get it right. No, that isn't what he says, is it? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He also said in another place, we are those who put no confidence in the flesh. We are those who put no confidence in the flesh. I'm not saying you don't try, you don't fight, you don't work to yield yourself to God, you don't try to resist temptation, but I am saying your faith and your trust need to be in the real deliverer, not your own will. Um, I have a friend... uh, named Nate Larkin, who I went to college with. And a couple of years ago, Laura somehow came across a book that he had written. Nate was a, the, probably the most brilliant Christian man on campus that I knew of. Um, he graduated the same year I did. He got married. He graduated in the morning, got married that afternoon um, to, a, to a woman with a couple of kids. But... Nate had grown up in the, in the Pentecostal church. He had a church down in his hometown called the Old Stone Pentecostal Church. And it was. It was all this big stone uh, church in the middle of a small town. And we'd all jump in a bus and go down there and just had a, just wonderful times fellowshipping with these people. Um, they had... They had Bible Bowl on steroids. Uh, these guys would memorize books upon book, chapters upon chapters, books upon books. I mean, maybe, maybe we do just as much, Bill, but I guess maybe because I was new in the faith, it just was so impressive to me, um, the, the scripture memory and how they could recite it um, over and over and over again. Well, Nate was the best at that. At our college, he uh, debated the leading uh, atheist at school, a man named David Lips, and uh, Nate just uh, debated him under the table on the existence of God. You know, you would think that the cards would be stacked against somebody who wants to 
try to prove the existence of God. And yet Nate was very successful to win the crowd over and uh, win the day, win the debate. But um, the rest of the story isn't so nice. He went on to Princeton, became a minister, um, and was ministering in Florida. But during college, one of his professors took him to a, uh, a uh, like a peep club or a peep show club in um, New York City to demonstrate how repulsive the sex industry is. And indeed, Nate was repulsed, but he also admits in his book that it, um, it excited him as well. And so he began to look at porn. So here he is, a pastor. He's getting addicted or hooked on porn. And then one night on the way to a service, he crossed a line. He picked up a woman. And I won't tell you what happened, but um, eventually he was in very, very deep. And he saw that ministers around Florida were getting caught and exposed and in the paper. And so he decided, I'm going to lay down my ministry I'm going to come clean, and that's what he did. Um, he started attending 12-step meetings and started to find some healing and some um, sobriety. Uh, and then eventually he started his own group called the Samson Society, where the higher power is Christ. And uh, today he has a blog, he has this book, he has this ministry, and um, He's clean and sober and helping men uh, find sexual purity. Um, but he asked this question, why didn't God heal me? Why didn't God deliver me when I was crying out to him in agony those five years? And his conclusion is, is that God wants to heal us in community. He, want, he, he will not tolerate secret sin. Um, that like he, he, he means what he says in James 5, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. That it's in deep koinonia, deep friendships, and uh, walking in the light every day is where the healing is found. Do you guys resonate with that? We rejoice in God's unlimited patience toward us. I want to just pray for a minute for any who might be struggling with uh, a habitual sin, uh, could be a sexual sin, could be some other type of sin, thought, or behavior. I won't ask you to raise your hand or anything, but Lord, we do pray for members of our body who are fighting a particular sin, Lord, and feeling defeated. Um, Thank you, Father, for this word of unlimited patience. And though we are faithless, you are faithful. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray for these that you give them strength to confess their sin to a trusted sister or brother and to come into the light. And we give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first part of his tender love is this unlimited patience toward us. Secondly, he has a great ability 
and desire to comfort us, doesn't he? Bill read that wonderful uh, portion of scripture in Second um, Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Let me turn to that and read it again. Let's see, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Had a friend uh, named J.R. who went to Israel just to uh, kind of experience life in the Holy Land. And one of the things he did was he spent all night with a shepherd. Uh, He, you know, just spent the evening and the night and a bit of the next day. And apparently at some point the shepherd handed him this newborn lamb. And J.R. was holding this lamb and the lamb was kicking, probably never been held before, and the lamb started out by kicking and moving his head around. And over time, though, the lamb uh, grew a little calmer, stopped kicking, but he said it was just trembling in his arms. And uh, as he continued to hold it and, and, and pet it a little bit, the lamb calmed down. Eventually, the trembling stopped. And then, I don't know if the lamb fell asleep or not, but just a beautiful illustration of what God does with us, how he calms us. We kick, we fight, uh, and then he calms us. Do not fear. Those words occur something like a hundred times in the word. Do not fear. And in the movie Facing the Giants, they say in that movie, I guess, that it occurs or its correlates occur 365 times, one for each day of the year. I don't know if that's true, but there it is. I want to pray for any who need the comfort of the Lord right now. And this time I would like you to stand and, and um, if you just are grieving something or there's been some trauma and you just would like a, a touch from the Lord, his comfort, go ahead and stand. Let's not be bashful. We're family. So go ahead and stand and maybe those around could just lay on hands, not pray out loud, but just uh, let me pray out loud. But We could just pray for these brothers and sisters. Father, you say in your word that you are the God of all comfort, the God of mercies and grace. And we do pray for these who are standing. We think of others who are not here, Lord, who might be standing, who need your comfort. We pray that you would minister your comfort and your tender mercies to these who are standing, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We pray for a special touch for these. In Jesus' name. 
Help them to calm, be calm, Lord, and to seek you and just to sense your loving arms around them. We give you all the glory and all the praise, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of his tender mercies is his unlimited patience toward us. Another one is his great desire to comfort us in our afflictions. A third is his intimate attention and anxious concern for us. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but um, in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul is giving his description of the body of Christ, he talks about the unseemly or weaker members of the body. And he says, um, starting in verse 25, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. He's talking about how weaker members uh, need greater uh, covering and greater attention and greater love. But that word in the Greek, same care, means anxious concern. I like that. I like those two words, that we would be walking in the love of Christ if we had anxious concern for one another. I think that reflects the heart of God, don't you? Not that he's anxious, but he, but he, is, he is actively and intensely concerned about our lives, about us, about all that is happening. Again, we think of um, Luke 12, 6 and 7, that says, uh, the very hairs of our head are numbered. But I especially think of Psalm 139. How many here just love that psalm? Anybody? Just love Psalm 139. I'm going to read the first six verses of it and just... Um, Let these words wash over you. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. Thou art intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. I especially like verse 4. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Have, have any of you had this experience where you've been thinking about something you need, uh, you haven't even really, in a, in a conscious way, prayed about it, and then that thing is supplied, and you have this sense that God was listening to your thoughts, and he didn't even wait for you to pray, he wanted to give it to you. I had that experience... Uh, I had this old Jeep, a CJ5 Jeep for you Jeep aficionados, uh, and it leaked oil like crazy. And uh, being poor and, and, and unmechanical, I just kept pouring oil in uh, to, this, uh, to this Jeep engine. And I didn't have one of those um, 
can opener oil spouts that you jam into the can so that it doesn't spill all over. And that was my thought. You know, after smelling burning oil for, for months, I thought, you know, it'd be really nice to have one of those things. And um, at the time, I was an assistant for a forestry um, technician for the logging industry. And so I was out in the woods a lot of northern Minnesota driving around on these old logging roads. And uh, sure enough, I was driving, and there was something in the middle of the road, way back in the middle of nowhere, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of woods. And here in the middle of this two-path, two, two tire-path road was one of those oil can-opening spouts. And, uh, you know, I just started to laugh and to say, thank you, Lord. You, you're just reading my thoughts. And it was so fun to uh, know that he's that intimate with us. His love is tender, amen? And we have his intimate attention and concern. The fourth uh, aspect that I think displays his tender love is the absolute security we have in him. Um, Psalm 91 is probably what my mind goes to here, the first few verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. I've had this sense lately when I've gone to prayer that it's only there that I feel completely safe. Um, it's just a, an experiential thing that I've felt lately. It's not that I don't think I'm, when I'm walking around that I don't, that I feel anxious, but when, I, when I'm um, in the Lord's presence, I just feel so safe. And it's, it's just a wonderful feeling. David said, the Lord, my dwelling place, my refuge, my shelter, my secret place, my hiding place. Kids today would, might say my hidey hole, my stronghold, my rock, my light. He's my fortress, the Lord my shade. That's a refreshing image, isn't it? In a desert country, uh, to find some shade and to say, the Lord, you are my shade, my keeper, my strength, my shadow, my tabernacle, my tower, my salvation. In the year 2000, Governor Keating launched something called the Oklahoma Marriage Initiative, and he, he brought in a team from Denver um, to launch a training program for pastors and clinicians called PREP. 
which is an acronym. And um, that body of material says that in, a, in order to have a strong marriage, you need four kinds of safety. You need physical safety. You need emotional safety. You need um, commitment safety, meaning my, my spouse isn't threatening to leave me. And you need uh, community safety, which means somebody's pulling for us. Somebody is supportive of our marriage. Well, I think there's another kind of safety, and that is the safety of knowing that your spouse is rooted and grounded in Christ. Amen? That's, that's the safe, safest thing of all. When I, when I was pondering marrying Laura, I thought, well, we can talk about anything. I know we're crazy about each other. We feel called. I mean, it's more than just us choosing. There's a sense that it's more than just us choosing each other. We feel called. But the thing that I put the most confidence in was she knew Jesus Christ. And her life was rooted in him before I ever came along. And that was and continues to be a great, great comfort to me. One of the memory verses that I'm working on right now is a great verse uh, from 2 Timothy. Um, see, I don't have it memorized yet. One twelve. But it says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Isn't that a great verse? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for that verse. Our security is in his unlimited power to hold us, not our weak ability to hang on. Our security is in his unlimited ability to hold us. The last one is, finally, that God bears witness to his own father's heart when he describes himself in the scriptures. Let's look at Matthew 7, 7 through 11 together. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. And then here is, through the lips of Jesus Christ, God's own description of his heart. What man of you is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? In Zephaniah 3.17, the scripture that Sherry read earlier, it talks about the Father rejoicing over Jerusalem. With great joy. Let me read that again. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Many Christians personalize this verse. Um, I just want to say that it is righteous and true that a father his heart rejoices 
over the success of his children, as does a mother's. But I'm going to pick on fathers right now. When, you, when your son is struggling or your daughter is struggling for some success to hang on to, how excited you get when that day comes that your child has a huge breakthrough. Your father's heart just leaps with joy. And I've got a little video clip from a Steve Martin movie to show you that phenomenon. This is a case where his son is on a baseball team, and he's kind of the team's scapegoat. He's, he's dropped some fly balls. He's missed. The team hasn't won a game. And so here's the last game of the season. The other team is about to win the game, and his little boy comes through. So Josiah, would you start that, please? That was just kind of a fun one. But I want to show another uh, four or five minute video to end um, that on a much deeper level, I think, uh, it's the best thing I've ever seen to show um, or be a reflection of our Heavenly Father's love. Go ahead, Josiah. This is a story of a father with a disabled son. 
Michael, would you come? We want to just let Michael minister to us in closing, sing that song, or not sing it, but just let, let Michael sing it, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Corey Tenboom had some simple advice to offer this generation. She who experienced so much suffering at the hands of the Nazis, yet went on to great spiritual victory, once said to my friends and me, don't wrestle. Nestle. What a profound but simple truth. Let's just let, uh, as we close, this uh, song minister to us. <laughs>